Well, good morning. I hope you have, you've had a good Christmas, everyone. Had a good Christmas? I hope so. Yeah, I've, I love Christmas. I've got to say, I love Christmas. I love all the build-up to Christmas. And like in our house, the decorations come out of the loft like right at the very beginning of December. Tree went up on the 8th. Lights on the front of the house. You know, started watching Christmas movies. Jim had it absolutely right last week when he talked about those five Christmas films that you should all watch. That was exactly right. Home Alone 1 is my favorite, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Not Home Alone 2 or 3 or 4. To be honest, Home Alone 1 is good, but Home Alone 2 or 3, if you, lose, if you forget to take your child on holiday more than once, that begins to become a little bit awkward to watch. Um, but um, over the last uh, kind of few weeks, I'm not going to lie, I have eaten a lot of mince pies. I have eaten a lot of mince pies, but not as many mince pies as this guy here, a guy called Howard, who um, I just am in awe of this man. So he was a kind of regular mince pie eater. He was averaging something between 50 and 60 mince pies in December on a kind of normal year, which, to be honest, is pretty lame in my opinion. Um, but that's what he was doing. But he made a decision this year that he would eat nothing other than mince pies from the 1st of December until the 25th of December. So he went to the doctor and got some supplements just to make sure he was going to survive. Um, but he did. He, he had mince pies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Apparently, he doesn't want to see another one for quite some time. Uh, but I applaud his efforts. And, you know, on top of the kind of daily kind of Christmas snacks, they reckon that on Christmas Day, the average amount of food that someone consumes, the average, not the highest, but the average amount of food, totals 6,000 calories. Just to give you an idea, that is the equivalent of six Big Mac meals. I mean, that is bonkers, isn't it? Or 12 Big Macs on their own. That's kind of what we're talking about. It's, it's a strange thing, you know. We, we live by these kind of rules of lifestyle for 364 days of the year, but then Christmas Day comes and all the rules go out the window and we just kind of consume vast quantities of food. It's like after Christmas lunch, your belly's hurting so much you might undo the top button and sit down, but if someone comes up and offers you a quality street, what do you do? You, you take it, right? It's like, on no other day would you find yourself with one hand reaching for the gaviscon and the other one with twiglets at the same time. <laughs> but that's what happens on, um, on Christmas Day. And, uh, and what happens on Christmas Day is not sustainable lifestyle. So at some point, after all the build-up, everything has to go back to normal and all the feasting has to stop and the decorations need to go back up into the loft. And in our household, we're not really all on the same page about when that should happen. Um, you know, we, I, I like to, I love the build-up, but I like to linger. But Rachel, my wife, um, she loves all the build-up to Christmas, but as soon as Boxing Day's finished, she's done. And she's quick to move on. She wants to move on quite quickly. I think she's a bit of a Scrooge, to be honest. Um, <coughs> she wants to move on quickly. I want to kind of linger and try and pad out Christmas as much as possible. So this is what she does. I discovered this a few years ago she just kind of starts taking decorations down the day after Boxing Day, you know, one at a time. First day, you know, we might have a little kind of little something on the, on the mantelpiece, and, uh, and, you know, like this, it's there. Day one, she takes it, it's gone. Day, day two comes, and uh, PowerPoint, guys. Uh, day two comes, and, and, and maybe this one in our, in our dining room is, is up, and, and, and it, just, it just goes. We're, no one's on PowerPoint. There we are. 
There we are. So that's in our, on day two. At the end of day two, that one just magically disappears. Day three, I'm coming home one day, and um, you know, our reef is on the front door. It's looking nice, and I just appear, and it's, just, it's, gone, it's gone. Like Gradually, <laughs> things just get taken away, but I cottoned on to the fact that she does this. And so what I do is I find the bag of stuff in our bedroom that she's taken down, and slowly I put it all back up again. <laughs> and then what happens is this battle commences for several days of me trying to keep Christmas and her trying to get rid of Christmas, and she puts it down, and I take it back up, and she puts it down, and until eventually I couldn't see defeat, and it all goes back up into the loft. But whether you've put your decorations away or not, we're nearly at the point of having to move on whether we like it or not. And in a couple of days' time, 2018 will become history and we'll move into a new year. And for all of us, it's a natural moment to kind of just reflect on life and think about the future. You know, people often use the beginning of the new year to, to kind of set some New Year's resolutions, some new goals, some fresh commitments to change some aspect of their lives. Um, maybe you do that. I know I do that. And there's something about the new year which makes us think about new beginnings. Um, you know, for example, the house, uh, housing market, um, house, uh, right move, the website, uh, kind of reported that in January of this year, it had 21 million more hits than in any other month of the year. 2,000 years were spent in one month by people in our nation browsing houses on right move in January. Why? Because new year equals new start. You know, we, we burst into the new year with this kind of mentality. Behold, I am making all things new. You know, that is my resolute promise to you. You know, uh, the, the chocolate I keep on eating, the late nights, the oversleeping, you know, the one too many at the office party, the nicotine fix, the caramel latte, lattes, these things that were part of my story's past you know, I'm going to move on, I'm going to be a better person at last. It's kind of like our kind of mentality. Our goal is to change, is self-improvement. You know, pick up any magazine in, in the new year, and it will give you kind of instructions about how to change. Five steps to a flatter stomach. You know, a cholesterol-free diet. The whole new you is waiting for you out there. If you just kind of follow our program, if you do this, you will become this. And our New Year's resolutions are not always just confined to kind of changing some aspect of our, of our physical self. We, we use the New Year to announce, you know, changes we want to make in our character or our relationship or our careers or our lifestyles. You know, one day back in January of this year, we're sitting around the meal table with a family. It's just a kind of average day of eating, really. You know, William, my son, he's sometimes sitting, sometimes standing, sometimes lying down whilst eating. Uh, one of my daughters was eating spaghetti with her hands. Uh, another one was trying to speak to us with spaghetti coming out of her mouth. It was just an average meal time, to be honest. Um, but then something extraordinary happened that took us all by surprise. Rachel suddenly said, I declare that 2018 is going to be the year of table manners. <laughs> you know, we're going to change as a family. It was, it was probably one of the boldest statements I've ever heard <laughs> in our household, a commitment to change like never seen before. And we all kind of rallied to it, you know. We thought, we, we can do that, we can do that. 
Uh, and so we kind of, as parents, we just started to dream about what this would mean for our lives. You know, 12 months from that moment, we just started thinking about the fact we will, 12 months from now, we'll be sitting around having polite conversation as a family. You know, William will, will ask his, his younger sister if she wouldn't mind passing the tomato ketchup rather than snatching it out of her hands. You know, everyone would wait until the other person's finished speaking in order to speak. There would be no elbows on the table, or at least there would be no feet on the table. We're aimed for that. <laughs> Belching, if it happened, would be followed by an apology, you know, rather than laughter, and sometimes <laughs> breaking wind or something. We started to dream about this. And so, like, day one, everything's going well. We're, we managed it. We got through the mealtime. Beautiful, lovely meal. Things are looking up. Day two, things are still going well. Day three, okay, we are now making some progress in the changes we want to make in our lives. But at some point, I'm not quite sure when it happened, but things just began to slip again. And we reverted back to the sort of mealtimes we were used to. You know, I, it was just a few weeks ago, actually, about a month ago, I, I was clearing up the table after a meal. We'd had a roast dinner. And, and I looked and I noticed that at the side of two of my children's plates was um, a clean knife and fork. <laughs> and at that moment, I realized we had failed to implement the change that we were after. They hadn't understood what cutlery is after 12 months. And we're, we're not on our own, you know. After people declaring a commitment to change on the 1st of January, the average length of time that people manage until they stumble and eventually give up on their resolutions is 24 days. That's it. Only 3% of people will make the entire year of kind of commitment to the change they want to make in their life. Only 3% of people will last 12 months, which means 97% of people in this room who make some resolution to change in the next couple of days will be doomed to fail. You know, turn to the person next to you and say, in 2019, you are likely to be a loser, my friend. <laughs> it's, it's true. You, said, you, you seem very keen to say that to the person next to you. <laughs> but despite failing last time around, when we get to the next year, we, we try again. We try again. You know, despite failing last time, I was talking to my brother yesterday, and he said that he has the same resolutions every year. He doesn't make any new ones. He just has the same list of resolutions every year on his phone. I said, oh, that's quite fascinating that you just stick with the same ones. You know, how do you get on? He goes, oh, I've never managed any of them. I just try again the following, following year. So why do we keep trying to change? I think because all of us recognize there are things about ourselves that are not the me that I want to be. And there's a dissatisfaction that kind of runs more than skin deep. And our obsession with self-improvement is a recognition that there is a more fulfilled, more attractive, more successful, more alive version of me out there somewhere if I can just muster enough willpower and strength and energy to achieve it. You know, the Prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament, he once said, a leopard cannot change its spots. You know, of course it can't. A leopard can't wake up one day and go, do you know what? Today, 
I'm going to become a zebra. You know, I'm going to get some stripes on me. It, it, it can't change. It's impossible. But then Jeremiah goes on and he says, neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Now you might say, well, that's a bit harsh. I'm not sure I'm evil, but in our desire to try and change is a recognition that there are things about our lives that are not good. And if we're honest, you know, we all have them, flaws in our character, attitudes and actions, things that we might deem bad habits, but are really just kind of like things that are not good, things we want to break with. And for each one of us, they'll be different, but they're there. And Jeremiah is saying that, that no matter what program you put in place, you know, what self-help books you read, no matter how determined you are to keep your resolutions, you won't be able to change long-term because you're like a leopard. You can't change your spots. You won't be able to implement lasting change that will leave you feeling satisfied, different than you currently are, a sense of being new. Most New Year's resolutions are actually based on a lie. If this year I move house, I'm going to be more comfortable. If this year I earn more money, I'll be more happy. If I lose this number of pounds, I'll be more beautiful. If I achieve one thing, you know, start a business, write a book, teach my children table manners, I will be successful. Now, the problem is, A, we're unable to do it. You know, remember last year. And B, if we were able to implement all those changes, they wouldn't fully satisfy us because they're just superficial changes. But there is an ability to change that will bring lasting satisfaction, a dramatic change that you know, promises nothing short of making us brand new. I'm not talking about a slightly better version of ourselves. I'm talking about completely new. Not just minor adjustments here and there, but a change in every aspect of our being. It's not something that comes from a result of kind of more willpower or you know, fresh determination. It's the result of listening to the one voice that actually has the power to change us in a way that will bring the lasting joy and lasting contentment in who we are. God says in the book of Revelations, he says, Behold, I am making all things new. And that includes you. And it includes me. You know, each one of us wants to be you, uh, new, to make bold statements. We make bold statements about how we're going to change. The problem is we, we lack the, the power to make it happen. But what we're unable to do on our own efforts, God has the power to do in us and through us. And if we're prepared to listen to him and submit to him, then we can change. And I'm not just talking about superficial changes. I'm talking about deep changes that bring us joy and peace and contentment and, and hope and much more. You know, the Bible says that we are God's handiwork. In other words, everything about who you are, your personality, your looks, your emotions, your skills, your abilities, everything about who you are is God's handiwork. And the Bible says that after God made you, he stood back and he looked at humanity and he said, that is very good. In other words, I've nailed it completely. That is the best version of humanity that there could possibly be because I've created it. And as you're created and designed by God, then it follows 
But only he knows what your full potential is. You don't know it. I don't know it. The media doesn't know it. The culture around us doesn't know it. God may put people in your path, like friends and families might have a glimpse of what your full potential is, but only God knows your full potential. Because he is the one that created you. You're his handiwork. So only he knows what the best version of you is. And, and his plan, if we let him, is to kind of take our lives that we've been kind of messing around with and trying to alter and change sometimes with devastating effects and make us new. Not by replacing us or exchanging us, but by restoring us. His plan, if we let him, is to restore us to our former glory, to our original glory. And when we try and make ourselves new, we fail because, you know, we don't really know what we're doing. You know, we, we try and make ourselves new, but we're, we're like an amateur who's trying to fix something that's broken. You know, it's amazing, you know, sorts of things you can try and, you know, fix or, or restore if you're an amateur. Gaffer tape is often used, you know. It's like this guy. There's a guy here who's tried to restore his wing mirror <laughs> with gaffer tape. But he's an amateur. He doesn't know what he's doing. So what he's ended up, he doesn't, it's, it's not fixed. Or this one, I like this one. This guy's trying to fix his bumper. He's trying to restore something of his bumper, but he doesn't know what he's doing. Or, or the next one, this is the back of an engine of an airplane. <laughs> I hope I wasn't on that flight. Or my favorite, someone who's trying to restore like peace and quiet and a sense of calm to their household, they've tried this. I checked, the baby's got a smile on his face, he's okay. But in the, as an amateur tries to restore something and, and make something new again, normally you just end up making a bit of a hash of it. But in the hands of an expert, something can be restored to its former glory. So for example, this next slide, this car, you know, if I had a go at trying to restore that, it would look probably worse than it does now. But in the hands of an expert, this is what it was made into. It's transformed back into its original glory. And it, when it comes to changing us, we're amateurs. God's the expert. He knows how to make your life new again. And his method is to restore you, not exchange you. You know, I love what the Apostle Paul uh, how he describes the extent God wants to change and restore us. I don't normally do this, but I'm, I'm going to read it from the message version of the Bible. He, he writes to the church in Rome, and he says this to them. So here's, a, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work, and your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering Embracing what God uh, does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you just fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. 
Readily recognize that he, what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. With God, it is, um, it is possible to undergo a change from the inside out. In other words, not a superficial change or, or a change um, that is you know, in just certain aspects of your lives but a complete change that affects every aspect of who you are. God wants to make you new. And this doesn't happen from us just kind of trying a little bit harder this year than we did last year. It it happens from us fixing our attention on God. You know, most adverts over the next few days will tell you, if you want to change, you need to do all of these things. But rather than coming up with a whole list of activities, change happens not by us doing more things, but by us focusing on the one thing. And that's God. And in so doing, allowing him to work on us. If you resolve to do nothing else over the next couple of days, but to resolve that in 2019 you will fix your attention on God more, you will find that in 12 months' time you would have been more fruitful feel more new and more alive. Paul puts it another way when he writes to the church in Corinth. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You know, over the next 10 Sundays, as as Jim mentioned, we're going to be looking at the extent of this new life God offers us through Jesus. You know, the Bible says that the, the, the things that it changes, that Christ changes in us, you know, it affects all different aspects of PI. It affects our identity, it affects our priorities, our thinking, our relationships, our habits, our lifestyle, our purpose, even our sense of freedom. God's resolution is to change us and make us new in every aspect of our lives. You know, all of us over the next few days, you know, we want to change, and, and in a couple of days we'll, we'll begin to think about our future. And it's not wrong to kind of come up with a list of things that, you know, we want to do and plans that we want to make, you know. Over the next 12 months, I plan to cycle more miles in 2019 than I did in 2018. I I plan to eat less chocolate for the first 24 days of the year (laughs) than ever before. I want to read more books. I want to spend more time with my family and my friends in 2019. But ultimately... Knowing lasting change comes from us fixing our attention on God. Uh, And I want to encourage you in the next couple of days, as you reflect on 2018 and you start thinking about the year ahead and the person you want to become, let God's voice be the loudest that you listen to. A God who loves you, who desires good things for you, a God who has the ability to make all things new, to change you from the inside out. A God that doesn't want to just exchange you, but in 2019 wants to restore you and your relationship with him to its former glory. Why don't we stand? We're going to just sing as we close our time together.